This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome back to the Space Hour. I'm Eric White. You saw the big news over the summer with billionaires Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos conducting their own space race together, ultimately completing the first civilian space launches. To get a sense on what this means for the future of space tourism, as well as other areas, I got a chance to talk to Dan Dumbacher, who is executive director of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. He's also a former administrator for NASA on space exploration. Well, a couple of things went through my mind, Eric, right off the bat. Number one, how great it is to get this access to space uh, beginning to open up to the masses. It's, it's been the, the where we've done government work and now uh, government astronauts, and now it's opening up to private citizens through the commercial uh, development of the industry, which uh, the second thought that occurred to me is this is the natural, this is the first step in a, in a very, very important natural evolution uh, that our open market system um, engenders of getting those initial steps taken so that uh, you open up the door, you open up the capability, and then uh, as the commercial marketplace drives more capability into lower prices, then it opens up to the masses, very similar to the way we went through the process of, of what's to develop what is now our commercial airline industry. So two very key things that the door is open uh, and this is the way the commercial marketplace is supposed to work. And thought number three would be those government investments that have been made over time uh, have certainly paid off. uh, And the role of government and transitioning over to private industry is the way it's supposed to be. So uh, all good and, and, and great future opportunity for us all. Even for those of us who have been following the rise of the commercial space industry over the past couple of years, um, we were, you know, and I've talked to other industry analysts who this kind of came up faster than I I think a lot of people thought. We were all kind of thinking maybe 2040 or so um, we'll see the first civilian spacecraft going up. But um, all of a sudden, it seems as if something just kicked in and they were and the the three big guys were (laughs) were kind of racing each other. What do you think um, from your standpoint led to things getting sped up to the point where now we were able to witness history so soon? Well, I think what you're seeing, and and I have a little bit different perspective, Eric, because I can remember coming out of engineering school, there was actually talk back then of space tourism. And that was, uh, dare I say, at the early 80s. uh, And and now we're here. And it's because there has been a lot of work and several iterations of this process uh, to get us where we are today. There was government investment back in the mid to late 90s. Uh, in the early 2000s. And you can see iterations of this uh, in the form of rotary rocket back in the 90s, the DCX XA activity that actually did vertical landing. And then a lot of those people that worked on those programs continued in the industry and they went to work at SpaceX, they went to work at Blue Origin, and they brought the technical capability along with them. Uh, The funding showed up in the form of the billionaires which is the way our capital market system works. And we're here now today with that technical capability that built up over time, those investments that have now paid off. And now we've opened up the door and here we go. Yeah, let's talk investment. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Where it, uh, what, what, what kind? What do you think this will have an, it will, well, will it have an effect on where 
the amount of investment goes? Are, are we going to see more dollars go towards uh, getting more civilians into space? And as you said, opening it up to the masses or um, or are things just going to kind of just keep on going on this same trajectory? And, you know, where, where are we, you know, 10 years from now, if you want to play a uh, fortune teller? I, I've never been very good at looking into a crystal ball and making predictions 10 years out i, I will in this I, industry yeah <laughs> I, I i will say this i think uh even before these flights and i think these flights are going to accelerate it you have seen we have seen more private investment capital show up uh in the commercial space enterprise or in the commercial space ecosystem uh we have seen that over the years uh, you are here. You hear now more about the spark or the SPAC investments. You you see more venture capital money coming in. Uh, you see companies succeeding and you see companies failing. Uh, and that's the natural market. And I think this will th- these events will help accelerate it. They make it more aware. I think the biggest thing that this is going to do, in addition to the investment, is actually raise people's awareness of what is possible. What are the opportunities? And now get that next generation and that younger generation thinking about what are the opportunities for my career, for my life, and how can we use this to solve problems on Earth? And I think uh, now what we're going to see is, is a, in addition to the funding and investment, you're also going to see growth, if not an explosion of that growth, in terms of, of, the, of people seeing the opportunities that can now be achieved, that it's not just the, the realm of government to do things that the commercial private industry is now uh, taking hold and, and you see that moving forward. And, and now all this entrepreneurial activity, this creative thought, these opportunities uh, start to engender themselves. And who knows uh, what the next great ideas are going to be. We already have some level of manufacturing going on in low earth orbit because of investments and research on space station and other things with um, high quality fiber optic cables and drug research and all of that. And now as you see these opportunities come about, these flights alone are going to open up a new realm of research that allows researchers to go figure out how to manufacture goods in zero gravity, how the human body reacts to zero gravity or microgravity in these, uh, now with this great access to these suborbital vehicles and systems, now we can do a, it it opens up this this new opportunity for research that you either did it on the ground or it went to space station. And now these uh, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, are helping open up that middle ground where you're gonna see private researchers flying on these systems in the not too distant future, uh, they're already booked on a couple of them. You're going to see these researchers flying on these systems and doing carrying out their research because they can get three to five minutes worth of zero gravity, test out their experiments, learn, and then they can figure out what they need to do to scale up if they need to go to, to on orbit, either a space station or eventually the commercial space stations. Yeah, what else can be learned from commercial launches? Every time we send someone up into space, there is a realm of possibilities of what they can look into. And you know, in that five-minute scope, what do you think are the limits of what they're able to do and research in when they're actually 
in zero gravity or whether it's just, you know, monitoring satellites while they're up there or just being able to put eyes on the space station. <laughs> um, are there other things that we're going to see um, that maybe the normal layperson may not realize every time we send a commercial flight up there? What you are going to see is research done where I can test a concept out in three to five minutes worth of zero gravity at relatively low cost and go try new things based on what I learn out of that three to five minute um, experience before I have to go to a larger scale, longer duration experiment on orbit. Granted, it's three to five minutes and it's limited and that's that only gets part of the equation. And eventually, whatever the research is gonna be, be it materials, be it drug manufacturing, whatever it might be, you are going to need longer duration timeframes and you'll need to do that on orbit. What this does, what, what this new capability provides is an opportunity to go in there and test those concepts out, test them out quickly, see how they work in that first three to five minutes. And then you can come back and, and learn from that and iterate quicker for the next scale so that when you do go to that larger scale, larger expense, uh, longer duration on orbit experience, you're now better prepared for that. Uh, and you have a higher probability of success based on the smaller experiments that you ran to build up to that uh, larger scale effort. I'm curious, as someone who's been on both sides, both on, in the public side and private side of things, um, what, how does this maybe change the relationship between the space industry and agencies that are more and more interested in space, you know, whether it's the Space Force itself, NASA, uh, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, um, with industry kind of being able to do its own thing, the government has almost become its best customer more than, you know, a regulator or anything like that. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on what that relationship will look like now. Well, that it, you've already, it's, it has already evolved uh, a tremendous amount. Um, if you think about it, how we did the Apollo era, the space shuttle era, and the station uh, development and assembly, uh, those were large government efforts uh, that were that involved private industry. I, I, I'm careful to choose my words because those are actually commercial entities. Uh, the, the contractors have to survive on a commercial basis, but it was a government. It was a government-driven. Now you're going to see that evolution where government is going to be more in the mode of providing opportunity, providing market potential uh, to help seed the market uh, and, and to move things forward. Go government has a has a key role in reducing the risks and barriers to entry for so that businesses can be successful. In space, we have made tremendous leaps on that front from the 60s to today. And now it's time for the commercial entities to start to take over and to take what we've learned and build on it and to let the marketplace uh, drive where it goes from here. Government will continue to move forward and to push the envelope. NASA's role is not so much low Earth orbit anymore. It's going to be deep space. Space Force role is as, as commercial operations move out into orbit. And as I say it, we extend the human neighborhood to low Earth orbit and eventually to the moon. Well, then there's safety and security and all those things that have to be carried out. And that's where the Space Force comes in. And they will have a key role in that in securing the safety uh, and the defense of the human neighborhood uh, and human society in space. Uh, so you'll see that evolution take place. You will see them, and you see this already in the Space Force, you see it in NASA, 
you see it in the FAA, you see it across the board of government, not so much putting the requirements for what the hardware should be, but more in a role of facilitating markets, buying services to help seed that next step uh, in the business activity. And in your view, has the amount of collaboration that's taken place, um, is that a big reason why we're seeing such an explosion in new ideas and um, startups and entrepreneurial spirit? Is the government partnership uh, model being a good facilitator for jumpstarting what we've seen in the past couple of years? Yeah, I would say it's been a it's been a good facilitator. There's always room for improvement, and we're learning along the way. Uh, you know, we have our past experiences of opening up commercial aviation uh, as we did from the 30s and 40s uh, to where we are today. Uh, and that, that, that gives us a model to look at how we opened up, how the U.S. opened up the Western California and all of that with the Transcontinental Railroad is another model. And, and what you see is the government takes the initial steps helps reduce the risk, whether those be technical or financial. And in the space business, there have been tremendous technical risks to it to overcome. Uh, and we have, we have figured out rocket propulsion. We have figured out how to get vehicles from the ground up to low Earth orbit. And now it's time for private industry to take those ideas or to take those foundational capabilities and to use them. And it's also the role for the government to start taking advantage of those capabilities so that the government can move to the next step out and beyond. NASA is not going to be building launch vehicles after the space launch system, per se. You have, I think at one recent count, 120 different companies out there. Certainly SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin, and others, Relativity Space. There's a whole group out there that are taking the technical lessons learned and now making businesses out of those. So then the government... NASA, for example, is starting to talk about, well, what do we need to do to get things started at the moon? How do we get a, how, how quickly can we get to the moon? How can we make it sustainable? And in that, it will begin to be the next marketplace to open up commercial opportunities as we go from low Earth orbit out to the moon to cis lunar space. And who knows where after that? Time for my favorite question whenever I do these interviews. Uh, what, what am I missing? Anything else that <laughs> on the topic that um, you, know, you think is important that may, maybe the people who are watching this but not exactly following it day to day, um, what, what else are you seeing in the space industry that um, others aren't necessarily up on? Well, I think there are, there are several challenges that have to be addressed. And one of those is space traffic management, space debris, uh, space situational awareness uh, goes by various names because as we open up low Earth orbit, the traffic in low Earth orbit increases, the potential for collisions increases. We have to be very cognizant of that. Cognizant of that. We are actually uh, dealing with space traffic management has actually fallen behind, or the the marketplace has outpaced what we uh, how we've been dealing with that problem. Uh, and I think you will see, and that's actually one of the major uh, initiatives that we at AIAA are pushing on is to get uh, more attention and more effort and more coordinated effort into space traffic management. Uh, you will also see, so that's one issue. You'll see another challenge of how do the treaties apply? Uh, what's the ownership if I mine an asteroid or I mine material off the moon? How, how does all that work? 
uh, and you see different answers from the U.S., from Luxembourg and, and other places, and, and there's much to be worked out there. There's the rules of the road and the norms of behavior in space that still remain to be developed. Uh, you, the U.S. Is, has had a leadership role, works to continue that leadership role uh, in establishing or identifying and defining what those rules of the road are. So that's ahead of us. Those are not an all-encompassing list, but some, you know, probably three of the major challenges we have ahead that need to be addressed. Uh, so you'll see that the investment community is, is participating more and more. So the funding is coming on uh, from a private perspective. There are needs from the government perspective on space traffic management and other things to, to, to increase and, and to move more rapidly and to frankly stay ahead of the competition out there in the space field. So uh, we, have, we have things to address on that front. I think, uh, and, and that's actually the role that we at AIAA take the role of with our 30,000 members across the globe to help solve these kinds of problems. What are the issues of the day? How do we move those balls forward? What are the issues that need to be addressed now? What are the priorities? Uh, so in our forums and our events and our white papers and all of that, you, what you will see is more concerted effort on addressing these problems. Uh, and, and you see more interest around the globe on these problems. UN Copious uh, and others are all working on these. We're at an interesting place. Uh, and I've said it before and I'll highlight it again, is if you think about it, we're at the spaces at the very infancy kind of stages like commercial aviation was back in the 20s and 30s. And everything we went through to make planes safer, more efficient, cost competitive, uh, we had regulation and then we deregulated and then the market expanded. We have all that to go through yet on the space side. As we do, the potential is limitless and the space itself is limitless. So where is this going to take us all? Who knows? Uh, but it's all meant uh, to make life better for humans on Earth and wherever humans end up living down the road. That's Daniel Dumbacher, Executive Director of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Our next interview involves finding where the government may be able to utilize artificial intelligence in space. Back after this, I'm Eric White. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.